Today, we get to start our series on the seven churches in the book of Revelation. And I know we've done this before, but as we start this new year, I think it's good for us to re- be reminded what God, uh, what Jesus is looking for, you know, when it comes to how we uh, live our lives individually and how we live our lives as a church, and especially when it comes to the new year, right? Because a lot of us, you know, take stock of, you know, 2022, and yes, our life wasn't perfect. You know, my life wasn't perfect. We, we've all made mistakes, but 2023, it's time for us to reset. It's time for us to reset. And you know what? Okay, things happened in 2022. Praise God that God forgives us. But he wants to use 2023 to transform us into the likeness of his son. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. And today we're going to take a look at the first church, and that's the church of Ephesus. You know, in 1964, there was a song that was recorded by the Righteous Brothers called You've Lost That Loving Feeling. Right, I know some of you, I was only three years old when that song was recorded, but it became famous during what movie? Do you remember? Top Gun, the first movie, remember? And for those of you who saw Top Gun, it was like Maverick and Goose used that song to try to pick up this woman in a bar. And they did it by singing this song to her in front of everybody. And if you know me, I just that was one of my all time favorite movies until what? Top Gun Maverick came out, and that is now one of my um, all-time, you know, favorite movies. But basically, it's a song about, you know, when you're in a relationship a long time, right, you, you, sometimes you just lose that feeling, right? It, it happens to all of us, because you remember what it was like when you were first dating, right? I remember when I was first dating my wife, I was working at a church. It was about three miles down the road in San Gabriel. Right? And my wife, she also lived in San Gabo. And I remember there are times, and I lived in um, Los Feliz at the time. And for those of you who don't know where Los Feliz is, that's kind of where the Griffith Park Observatory is. And so I would have to drive from San Gabriel all the way home. And so I'd usually, you know, hit traffic. When I hit the 5 freeway, it was just bumper to bumper in both directions. And I remember one time I was on the Fry Freeway and I was going to get off on my, you know, exit. I believe it was Glendale Boulevard. Um, and then all of a sudden I get this phone call from Grace. At the time we just first start dating. And she goes, you know, Dave, I have some leftovers. Do you want to come over for dinner? And I go, no problem. So I get in my car. I turn the car around, right? Now I'm fighting traffic again on the five going the other direction. I hit the Long Beach, and then I'm going east on the 60, and I'm hitting bumper-to-bumper traffic again. I'm fighting this traffic all to have leftovers, right? But it wasn't the leftovers. It was I got to spend time with grace, right? And I was willing to do that. It it took me over an hour to go through traffic because I was almost home and I was tired. But as soon as grace called, energy's back, right? That passion's back. And it's so funny. About two weeks ago, my wife was out. And uh, I don't know where she was. And she goes, you know, honey, do you want to go out and have dinner? And my response was, Man, it's cold outside. 
<laughs> Could you pick something up and bring it home? You know, big difference, huh, between taking my car and fighting traffic to, honey, it's cold outside. You know, I, you know, it's nice and warm in this house. Can you just go pick something up and bring it home? Right? And I'm not saying that our love wore off because it's stronger now than it ever was. But, you know, that was basically the theme of, you know, that song. And sometimes that happens. But you know what? Sometimes that happens in our faith right now. You know, and, and some of you might be feeling that right now as you sit here that, you know, as you're looking at your faith, you're just trudging through it. You're, you're hanging on. You're, you're doing your duty. And we're going to take a look at, well, how do we remedy um, that uh, feeling to bring back that love that we once had for um, Jesus? So if you have your Bibles, can you turn with me to Revelation um, chapter 1, starting with verse 9. And it says, I, John, your brother and companion in suffering and kingdom and patient endurance that are ours in Jesus, was on the island of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. Now, this John we uh, see here, we believe it was the Apostle John. And John was on the island of Patmos, which was pretty much he was there because he was in prison. Okay, he wasn't there on vacation on a tropical island. It was a prison, and he was um, placed in there. And so this is where he's at right now. He said, On the Lord's day, I was in the Spirit, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet. So he's saying on Sunday, which is the Lord's day, because why? We believe that Jesus was resurrected on Sunday. So whenever you hear the Lord's day, it means Sunday. But he said, When I was in the Spirit, so we don't know exactly what that means because we know that people like Paul was caught up before and he went to heaven, right? And he saw all Paul, the Apostle Paul saw all these wonderful visions in heaven. Now, we don't know. It's not mentioned here, but it says that he's in the spirit. So something happened out of the ordinary because all of a sudden he's in his jail cell and he hears this loud voice like a trumpet which said, write on a scroll what you see and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. And so this um, voice tells them, hey, I'm going to show you some things. I want you to write this down and I want you to send them to seven churches right in Asia, or the area now, as we know, is Turkey. So if you see this next slide right here, you see um, that, you see Patmos is on the bottom there. It's an island offshore. So it's kind of like Alcatraz. It was a prison. It was on an island, so you couldn't um, escape. But then if you take a look at the cities here, these were were the seven most important cities in that time because they were on what they call the postal route. So if you wanted to address that whole area, basically what would happen is um, it would start with Ephesus. So you would write a letter or communication. You would start at Ephesus. Then it would go to Smyrna. Then it would go to Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and end in Laodicea. And so this is why Jesus told them to write to these seven churches, because if these were the most prominent cities in that area, and if you wanted to communicate to to that area, these are the places that you would have to go. And then in verse number 12, it says, I turned around and heard a voice speaking to me. And when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. Now, it's interesting when you read the book of Revelation. There's a lot of imagery there. So it is a little bit difficult 
to understand, but hopefully that will explain what some of these imageries mean. And among the lampstand was somebody like the Son of Man, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet with a golden sash around his chest. The hair on his head was white like wool, white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. And for those of you who might have known, this is kind of like a description coming from Daniel 7. But it says, his feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace, and the voice was like a sound of rushing waters. In the right hand he held seven stars, and coming out of his mouth was a sharp double-edged sword. His face was like the sun shining in all its brilliance. And so here we see a picture of Jesus. This is who Jesus is, right? And it says that he's, there's this double-edged sword coming out of his mouth. Now the double-edged sword is this broadsword. Now, for those of you who play Zelda, it's like the sword that Zelda uses, that broad sword, right, that cuts uh, on both sides, right? And so basically what this is saying, that um, when you say this double-edged sword, it means that one side of the sword provides protection and vindication for his children, for us. But the other side also is pronounces judgment and punishment to his enemies. And this is what they're saying Jesus is going to come back and do to provide protection and vindicate his believers, but also to punish and judge his enemies. And he goes, Right, therefore, what you have seen, what is now, and what will take place. Now, this is what's so interesting about the book of Revelation, and this is why sometimes it's hard to read, because if you read the book of Revelation, it goes to the past, the present, when it was written, and the future. And so what Jesus is saying, hey, listen, I'm going to write things that are happening in the church right now, but then I'm going to... tell you some things about what's going to happen in the future. And if you read Revelation, it's called an apocalyptic book, meaning Genesis tells us how we believe God created the universe. Revelation tells us how this universe will end, right? And it'll move from, you know, things here on this earth to heaven. And so this is why it's, there's a lot of prophecy in the book of Revelation, things that are going to happen that have not happened yet, right? But they are going to happen. And so um, this is why it's really important for us to at least attempt to read Revelation because there are a lot of things that are going to happen, and I think they're going to happen soon. And we need to be able to recognize these prophecies that come uh, forth that, you know, John writes about through, you know, Jesus' instruction. And he says in verse 20, it says, The mystery of the seven stars you saw in my right hand and the seven gold lampstands is this. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. So when did the vision, he sold this one person who held the seven stars in his right hand, meaning that whoever this Jesus was controlling these seven stars. And we see that, what are these seven stars? They're the seven angels of the churches. Now, these angels weren't angels like angelic beings. We believe that they were referring to the leaders or the elder, leading elder of that church, right? And the lampstands are the seven churches. Because why does they use lampstands? Because what do lampstands lamp stands do? Yeah, they provide light, right? And this is what the church is supposed to do. 
We are supposed to provide this light to our communities in this world. And so the angels are the pastors in charge of these seven churches. And so once again in verse 1, it says, To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in the right hands and walks among the seven golden lampstands. So basically it would be like saying, to the pastor of Ephesus. If he's writing to us, he'd say, to the pastor of Mission Valley. John, I want you to write to Pastor Dave, and I want you to tell him this, right? And from him who walks among the golden lampstands. So what does that mean? That Jesus is walking among the churches. You know, it's an imagery that shows that Jesus knows, number one, Jesus is what? The head of the church, but he's walking around looking at what's going on in the churches. He knows what's going on in the churches. Now, Ephesus at the time was probably um, the most important city of all of the seven in that area. It was the Roman uh, provincial capital. It was a major port. You know, just like, you know, Long Beach and San Pedro is a major port here in Southern California, which makes you know, our economy grows so, I mean, is so strong is because of the port we have here that all, all of the goods coming from Asia, they what? Are funneled through, you know, Southern California. So the port was important both for bringing goods into the country, but for travel. If you wanted to go to this, uh, this part of Asia by boat, you would come into the city of Ephesus. But it, the roads, you know about the Roman uh, road system, the roads were very connected to the north and south and to all of the uh, popular, popular areas in that region. It was uh, bustling with trade and business, and economically it was a, a very economically strong or profitable uh, city. It had impressive buildings and uh, numerous religious structures. But at Ephesus, it was known for one thing. It had a huge temple of Artemis, the Greek guard, goddess Artemis. And because Artemis was worshipped there, it provided a business for all of the artisans there to um, create statues and just things of worship of Artemis there. And so this is why the Christians were being persecuted because when Christianity came to Ephesus, they said, we worship God and God alone and stop worshiping Artemis. So when people became believers, they stopped worshiping the goddess Artemis, which means what? They didn't buy any idols they didn't buy any souvenirs. They didn't buy any of the goods that these artisans were making. And they started seeing the, they started to lose business. And they were so upset at the Christians that the persecution started because of this. But at the Temple of Artemis, it was really immoral. There was uh, thousands of priestess there who were little more than ritual, what they call prostitutes. And they played a major role in the worship of Artemis, meaning sexuality was played a major role in how they worshiped Artemis. But living in this city, there was a small group of Christians, and this is whom um, John is addressing. And he continues on. Jesus continues on by saying, I know your deeds. You work hard and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people. And you have tested those who claim to be apostles, 
but who are not and have found them false. You have persevered and endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. So you look at this church, and Jesus is complimenting them on the things that they did. Jesus praises the church of Ephesus for their hard work, their perseverance under persecution, their lack of tolerance for wicked people in the church, their diligence in testing those who claim to be apostles, their endurance, and they didn't get weary serving God. You know, what a wonderful church, right? And so Jesus first commends them for their hard work. Now, when you see this word hard work, what it meant is that believers in Ephesus, they were going all out in their work. They gave 100% physically, 100% um, mentally in order to serve God. They worked hard. They were diligent in the co- working for the heart, uh, cause of Christ. They weren't ones sitting on the sidelines. They just didn't come to church, sit, and watch others do the work. No, they were the ones getting involved in the work of the church, right? They didn't just sit on the sidelines, nor did they benefit from the work of others, right? They said, no, I'm not going to just sit here and benefit from others' work. I'm going to be the one doing the work. They worked hard for the cause of Christ, but they also persevered, right? They also persevered. It says, Perseverance in that time means patient under difficult circumstances. Basically, they courageously accepted hardship and suffering and loss. And once again, they were getting persecuted by the, those who worshipped uh, Artemis. But another reason a praiseworthy uh, aspect of the Ephesian believers was that they refused to tolerate evil men. Now, we don't know exactly what they were doing, but whatever they doing, were doing, they had a high standard. And they said, you know what, we're not going to tolerate this in the church. You know, it could have been gossip. It could have been backbiting. It could have been people not treating others, you know, kindly or lovingly. Whatever it was, they were saying, you know what, we're not going to tolerate this because this goes against what Scripture says, how we're supposed to treat one another. But they knew their stuff. They checked scriptures. So whenever a uh, visiting pastor would come, they would check what they said based upon what Scripture said. And then through the 40 years that that church existed, they endured suffering and they didn't get weary. So you're saying, wow. They remained faithful to God and loyal to his word and work to which he had called them. A wonderful church, right? This is a church that we would be writing books about. If you want to grow a church, if you want to be like a church, boom, these are the qualities. But there's a but coming, right? And we see that in verse 4. And Jesus says, yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at First, Jesus rebukes the church in Ephesus because they abandoned the love they had for God and people. He praised the church for their hard work, their perseverance under persecution, the lack of tolerance for wicked people in the church, their diligence in, cha- in testing the claims of others who claimed to be apostles. And they endured all of this, um, and they didn't get weary. So the question is, how could you do all of these wonderful things and your heart not be in it? 
Right? Because if we looked at this list, we would say, man, this is the perfect church. I want to go to this church. So is it possible to be able to do all of these things and have your heart not in it? Apparently it is. It is. The believers in Ephesus had good theology. They knew their Bible. They studied their Bible. They went to Bible study. They went to worship service. They heard sermons. They knew all about the Bible, right? They had good theology, and they had good deeds, right? But they were just going through the motion, which brings us to the most important point that I have here. Why we serve God is more important than how we serve God. Once again, why we serve God is more important than how we serve God. Because the hows of how we serve God come from the Bible and how we apply Scripture to our lives. But God is concerned more with what? Why we serve him. He's more concerned with what's going on inside. In Isaiah 29, 13, God says through the prophet Isaiah, And so the Lord says, These people say that they are mine. They honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me, and their worship for me is nothing but man-made rules learned by rote. Wow. You know, God is saying, These people, the Israelites, they think they're mine. They tell everybody they're mine. However, their hearts are far from me. Yes, they uh, follow the law. Yes, they do all of these things that they're supposed to do, but they're only doing it by rote. There's nothing inside here. They were just serving God out of responsibility. Because some pe- and some of you here might just be very responsible people. And when you're serving God, it comes out of a sense of responsibility. Or it could be tradition, or it could be obligation or duty. And this is what Jesus is saying to the church of Ephesus. You're doing all of these things on the outside. looks like, man, you are a thriving church. But there's something missing, and that's the most important, right? In Proverbs 21, 2, the author says, A person may think their own ways are right, but the Lord weighs the heart. We might think we're doing the right thing when it comes to ministry, right? Well, what does God do? God weighs the heart. So they were doing all these wonderful things, right? So why was Jesus so upset about the condition of their hearts? Well, because they were violating the great commandment, which is to what? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, the mind, and to love your neighbor as yourself. They were violating that commandment. They were doing all of these things outwardly, but inside they didn't love God and they loved, didn't love their neighbor. So basically what um, Jesus is saying the church, to the church of Ephesus, without love, your works, although commendable, are worthless. Right? And we see this in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 1. The Apostle Paul says, if I speak of tongues of men or 
of angels, but do not have love. I am only a resounding gong or clanging cymbal. Now, for those of you who don't know where tongues are, tongues is um, a language that's given to certain individuals to speak in a language that is unintelligible, but it's being powered by the Holy Spirit, and there are people that have that gift to speak in tongues, and there are also people that have that gift to interpret those. So this is from a supernatural origin from the Holy Spirit. But what he's saying, if I don't have love, it's just a clanging symbol. It's meaningless. He says, if I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. Meaning that you could have the gift of prophecy where you could hear God's voice and say, thus saith the Lord. Or maybe God gives you visions of what's going to happen in the future because I've come in contact with people who do have that gift of prophecy where they were telling me things that they were saying, Dave... I believe that God is telling me this, that this is going to happen in your future, and it did, right? If you have that, but it also says if you have all knowledge, if for those of you who have the gift of knowledge, who could understand, who have that supernatural gift to understand the Bible, and some of you have faith, man, that you could move mountains, but he says if you do not have love, what? We are nothing. And then once again, If I give all I possess to the poor and give my body over to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. You could be the most generous person. You could give everything you have to the poor. You could go through persecution for Jesus like the church of Ephesus did. But what? If you don't have love, what is Apostle Paul saying? Or nothing. This is why love is so important. This is why love is so important. And Jesus understands that times when our love runs cold, and sometimes, because it happens, it's happened to me over the course of my walking with Jesus. But he also gives us a remedy. He also gives us a remedy. Because there's various reasons why our love grows cold. And it's unique to each one of you, right? It's, it's different for each one of us. But what is he, what's the remedy? Well, he says that in verse 5. He says, consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. So Jesus' prescription for spiritual apathy is number one. Remember or consider how far you've fallen. Remember what it was like, you know, when you first came to know Jesus? What were the things that you doing? Remember what you were feeling, right? I know when I was, uh, first came to know Jesus, man, I was reading my Bible hours, hours a day because I wanted to learn more about Jesus, right? Because this is God's letter to me about who he was, how he loved me, and what he expects from me, and what he will do for me. And so I read the Bible. It was like reading a love letter. And, you know, for some of you young people now, one of the things that it's, you know, I just feel for you, because one of the things you've missed was the love letter from the one you love, 
right? For those of you who are old enough to remember what it was like to get these love letters. I remember about 10 years ago, I was cleaning up my garage, and I found a box. I go, what's in this box? And I opened it up, and it was all the letters from my previous girlfriends, right? I had them. I didn't, okay, to my credit, I didn't even know I had that box. It was buried somewhere in the garage, and since I threw them away, okay, married, I threw them away, but as I remembered those times, right, it was a time where we didn't have text, we didn't have email, we had to actually write down um, our words on stationery. We had to put them in the thing called an envelope, we had to put a stamp on it, and we had to walk it down to this thing, a blue box, it's called a mailbox, and we put it in there, and somebody would, a mailman would pick it up, and it would be delivered to whom we would want. So I would write my letter, right? And sometimes it would take two to three days to get to, you know, my girlfriend, right? And so I figured, okay, two, three days. I'm checking these things down. Probably take a, about a week for her to read it. Maybe another two, three days for it to come back to me. So after a week and a half, man, you start going to your mailbox every single day looking for that letter, Right? And then when you get the letter, you just rip it open, and you just don't read it one time. You read it a thousand times. And my parents told me, Dave, go to bed. You know, so I'd go to bed. I'm under my sheets with a flashlight reading it. What is she saying, right? And you're smelling it because they would always perfume, right? They had put their perfume on there, and I go, ah, right? But what? That's the, it was a love letter, and so I read those things. And like I said, I've thrown them away. <laughs> you know, I don't have those anymore. But those is, that's the passion that I had when I first came to Jesus and read the Bible. I was reading the Bible all the time. I loved to fellowship with um, other youth believers. You know, I applied the scripture to my life. And even though it meant I would lose a lot of my friends, because I did, I came to know Christ when I was in high school. And I said, you know, my lifestyle has to change. The people I hang out with has to change, because they're doing some things that I just knew were wrong. And so I had to make a choice. Is my loyalty to my friends or my loyalty to Jesus? And I tried to tell them about Jesus. And their basic response was, Dave, you know, if that works for you, that's fine. It doesn't work for me. Right? I love to sing worship songs. So as you think about what it was like when you first came to know Jesus, what was it like? What were you feeling? And then what Jesus says is repent from this sinful attitude, right? And I've heard people say when corrected, you know, they say, well, if my heart's in it, well, I just won't do it then. Have you ever felt like that or heard somebody say, well, you know, sometimes when they're corrected, it's like, okay, if my heart's not in it, I just won't do it. That is even worse than losing your first love, right? That is probably the most unbiblical response we could give if Jesus said we have abandoned our first love, that we used to have him. There's nothing worse to say, okay, if my heart's not in it, I'm just not going to do it, right? Jesus tells us that there's only one correct response if we've lost our first love for him, and that's to do what? To admit that that attitude is wrong and ask for forgiveness. 
Finally, he says, return to the things you did when you first met Christ. Be intentional about doing those things you did in the beginning. Okay, those are, that's the remedy that Jesus has. So, so if you're sitting here and all of us, you, you think that, man, I'm just going through the motions. Yeah, I'm doing, all, I'm doing all the things that, you know, I'm supposed to be doing. I'm trying to reach out to people. I'm trying to care for people. I'm doing this. I'm doing that. But there's nothing inside me. And I'm just doing it because I'm a responsible person. You know, these are the remedies that Jesus says to get that feeling back. But he says, but you have this in your favor. You hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I always hate. And we're going to cover this more when he covered the Church of Pergamum, but basically this attitude was the belief in the practice of unrestrained pleasure. Okay, that's what the Nicolaitans believed. And so, but this is so serious that Jesus says, man, if you don't repent, I'm going to come and I'm going to remove your lampstand. So what does that mean? You go, Church of Ephesus, man, you're doing all of these wonderful things. You guys really are. But man, you've forsaken your love for me. You know, when you do these things, there's no love for me and there's no love you have for your people. That's the great commandment. And if you don't repent, if you're going to keep doing those things, I'm going to take my lampstand from you. But what Jesus is saying is, you're no longer going to be my church. I'm going to remove you from being part of my church. You will no longer exist. That's how serious having that love is, Right? They were doing all these wonderful things, but Jesus said, hey, if there's nothing in here, I'm coming in up. I'm removing your lampstand. Then he says, um, he, in verse number seven, whoever has hears, let him hear what the Spirit of the says to the churches. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. So what we see this, what Jesus is saying, listen up. This is important. And the phrase, whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches, to the one who is victorious. We see that principle in every single one of the churches that are listed in the book of Revelation. This phrase, or parts of this phrase, are in every one of the addresses that Jesus addresses to the church. He says, there is a reward for the victorious, or some of your Bible says the one who overcomes. Overcomes what? Well, in 1 John 5, 5, John writes, Who is it that overcomes the world? Only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. So believers are the ones that are victorious. But obviously what Jesus is talking to, he's talking to believers here. And what's he talking about? Well, he's, you know, in the context we're talking about, at least in the church of Ephesus, are you victorious over or do you overcome the fact that there's nothing inside here? Do you regain your love for me? Are you able to do that? Are you able to overcome your apathy? And this is what Jesus is saying. There is a reward for those who overcome that, Right? And then he says to those who, who are victorious, they get to eat from the tree of life. Now, this all goes back to Genesis, right? If you go back to the garden, there were, you know, all kinds of trees. But what were the two trees that were placed in the middle of the garden? The tree of the knowledge of good and evil and the tree of life. 
See, God wanted to give us a choice. You know, he told Adam and Eve, you could eat from all of the trees, all of them, look, all of them, they're yours, except for this one tree, and that's from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He wanted Adam and Eve to have choice. Free will is important to God. That's why if he wanted people who would just love him, he could, create, he could have created us that way. If he wanted people that would just do what is right all the time, he would have created us that way. But see, God created us with a free will. God created us with a love to love him freely. Because don't we, and we were made in God, God's image, how many of us want to be loved by a person because it's their responsibility? How many of you want to be loved by your spouse or boyfriend or your family member out of obligation? Right? None of us want that. But God doesn't want that either. That's why he gave us a free will. Right? And so he put that tree there. And I believe that if Adam and Eve chose to obey God at that moment and didn't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, God would have gave them access to what? The tree of life. And they would have lived forever. However, since they did sin, God would not allow them to take from the tree of the knowledge of good and, e- um, and knowledge tree of life because he didn't want sinful people living on forever in that condition. Once again, he gave us a free will. You know, and this is why it's so important, right? And there are times when, yes, that love's not there where the honeymoon's over, right? But hopefully in time, your love for God, that heart is still there. You may not have all these wild emotions you had when you were a teenager, But that love is still there, and it's a more mature love. Because I could honestly tell you that I love my wife more today after 25 years than I did when we first started. I loved her more than when I got my car and drove all the way back to have leftovers with her. Why? You know, because that was more, woo, you know, more selfish love, right? But now the love that I have for my wife is, you know, a lot more mature, you know, and see, this is what God wants, but he wants that there. It's that important. And so this is for, for those of us who are starting this new year. You know, Jesus is telling us, right, as you serve him, you know, he's thankful for your service. But don't equate service with a heart. Because if the heart's not there, if we're serving out of obligation, if we're serving out of tradition, if we're serving out of responsibility, the Apostle Paul says what? And Jesus says what? That's wrong. That's not what he wants. Because when you think of everything that Jesus went through for us, what he went through on the cross for us, the fact that we all have eternal life for him, the suffering that Jesus went through for all of us, have we forgotten that? You know, you know, there are times when we sin, we make mistakes. And when I do, I just get down on my knees and I just thank God so much for forgiving me that no matter what I do, that if I confess my sins, he is faithful and just what? To forgive my sins. I'm so thankful for that. I haven't taken that. I haven't taken Christ's death for granted. And so I hope that's you right now too. 
that yes, we all have lost that loving feeling. But somehow, we remember how far we've fallen. Remember what, we, what it was like when we first met Jesus. We acknowledge that that's wrong, and God doesn't want that. He wants us to love him with all of our hearts and souls, but he also wants us to love people too, right? He wants us to love people. Then finally, whatever we did in the beginning, start doing those things again. And the beautiful thing is it'll happen because if Jesus instructs us to do those things, he's telling us that, yes, you could get that loving feeling back. So it's not over. It's not hopeless. There is hope. If you do those things, Jesus said you could get those loving feeling back. So what's a weekly challenge? I want us to read Revelation 2, 1 through 7 every single day and ask yourself if you have abandoned your love for God and people. Okay. Now, when I say abandoned your love, I'm, you might be doing all of these wonderful things, and God bless you. Keep those things up. But do a heart check. Do a heart check. God, why am I doing this? Am I doing it because I'm irresponsible? Am I just trudging through like, oh, my gosh, okay, I'll do this just because you want me to? Or, or check that. And if you have, like I said, we've all been there, follow the three R's. Remember how far you've fallen. Repent of your sinful attitude and return doing the things you did when you first met Christ. And if you do that, you'll get that loving feeling back because that's a promise from Jesus. So if you're right now not feeling it inside, don't despair. Don't despair. Jesus promises you could get that feeling back. You could get that feeling back of what it was like when you first met him. Met him, if you do those three things. So worship team, would you please come uh, forward and let's uh, close this time in prayer. Gracious Heavenly Father, you know, as a pastor of this church, I admit that I've lost that feeling for you numerous times. Father, there were times when Man, I used to love reading your word and just reading, Father, about your love for me, your forgiveness, your mercy, Father, what you, how you wanted me to live your life. And I just loved reading that and applying it to my lives. And there are times when I just read it academically. Is how am I going to teach this? How am I going to apply this to others? And Father, there are times when my service of you just became a job. And I've lost that feeling to you, Lord. I, I was going through the motions because this is my job. This is what I get paid for doing. And Lord, I thank you so much for forgiving me during those times when I came to you and say, Lord, this is not what you want. And you restored that joy of your salvation back into my life. And oh Lord, what what a wonderful experience it was for me to just go through the book of Luke, you know, this week, to study it and read it and to remember my first love. But there are some of us right now who are sitting here where you might be doing all the right things like the people, uh, believers in Ephesus did. You've got your theology down. You, you, you study your scripture. You attend Bible studies. You're, you're serving, and you're serving hard, right? But that love, that passion 
is not there, where all of these wonderful things are done out of responsibility or obligation. At this time, if that's you, I want you just to remember what it was like when you first came to know Jesus. What were you doing? What did it feel like? And just take a few moments to ponder on that. Father, we come to you today, and some of us remember how far we have come from where we once were to where we are now. For, Father, we equated works and our deeds and our knowledge with love when that couldn't have been further from the truth. And so, Father, we come to you and we admit that that was wrong, but, Father, we thank you so much that you forgive us. We thank you, Father, that even though our love for you might have grown cold, your love for us never, ever runs cold. And that you are always pursuing us. And that you would always love us, that you would always be with us, even though, Father, it appears that we abandon you. So, Father, this day, may your presence be known in our lives. Father, may you rekindle that fire, that passion, that love that we had for you once so we could experience the joy of your salvation. Because ultimately, Father, that's what you want for each one of us. You want us to feel this joy that's not dependent on circumstances. That, Father, we could be experience persecution like the church of Ephesus had, but we could still have joy. Father, we could be beaten down, but, Father, we could still have peace. And that comes from you, and that's what you want us to have. So, Lord, I pray for Mission Valley. Lord, I pray that we, Father, would serve you out of our hearts. For the last thing we would want is for you to take your lampstand from this church. So, Father, give us the wisdom. Give us the courage. Give us the perseverance, Father. And give us the desire to get back the love that we once had for you. In your son's name we pray, amen.